0: Hello and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. Join us as we explore his longer adventure stories in their chronological publishing order. We'll talk about what makes them so enduring, their historical context, and how well they hold up today. So, get out your reprint and get ready to enjoy our remarks. Welcome back to Barks Remarks. I'm Mark Severino, a grown man who loves duck comics, loves talking about the the stories of Carl Barks, and uh, I've got to say, I do do love shrinking stories. I'm I'm definitely a sucker for miniaturization um, and, and all the perspective, the cool perspective stuff that we get therein. So this should be a good story to talk about. Today we get to cover the early 60s Karl Barks adventure, Billions in the Hole. And to do so, I'm joined by a returning guest. Um, so I would like to welcome him back, Ruben Olsrud. It is great to have you on the show. It It feels like it's been a while, but I guess it hasn't really been too many episodes. We just recorded, uh, we recorded Paul Bunyan Machine a little while ago, I guess.
1: Yeah, we, I believe that was the last one. So, and also, I'm um, glad to be back, Mark. I love being back. I have to say that. It's always a pleasure and a big, uh, it's a pleasure
0: and it's an honor. Yeah, it's great to have you back on. I love having people who are super enthusiastic. You're a longtime fan of Carl Barks, um, longtime fan of Disney comics in general. You know, we mentioned in the past that you you got to win a Young Artists contest to get included in the local. You're you're hailing from Norway, so you are one of our Scandinavian representatives, where those comics are are still remain much more popular um, than they are. In the States. So, Ruben, how about you? Do you like, are you a fan of like shrinking down? To a tiny size stories well
1: i think uh, the fantasy of looking at things from like this tiny perspective and being tiny and li- looking at, uh, uh, at the at the world from a different perspective that's the universal real universal thing that you think about of course e- or every human thinks about it all over the world but also at any age or any culture or anything you could always fascinate, be fascinated by how would it be to be at that size how shrinking down and look at the world uh, at another on angle. And also in a world where we have uh, miniature things around us, like toys and such, uh, we get media like Toy Story, we see stuff from those perspectives and I, I also i'm a big fan of lego i have a bunch of lego hair around there in my, in my office and uh, just playing around with those miniatures you always kind of fantasize and try to make it like a world for those little creatures
0: yeah well said i think especially kids they like the little mini versions of things you know my one of my children is into something called mini brands where you buy small versions of popular brands. Um, my my oldest would occasionally build those tiny little houses that could fit inside of, I don't know what, it, it was like a mint container size or something like an oh, really? Altoids tin or something. I feel like, you, you know, you grew up with Norwegian media, um, but like whatever we were watching as kids, probably every cartoon had its, The characters all get shrunk down to size, Um, so it is. It's a very common trope. It's very popular. Disney made it pretty big. In um, Uh, uh, actually, yeah, you you were about to
1: mention Honey and shrink the kids, I believe. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, And also, you have uh, it's it's going back to the fairy tale fairy tale things. We have uh, Hans Christian Andersen, the Thumbelina, exactly. He made that one, and also the Help me out, the one that went to a world huge. Yeah, Gulliver, yeah, Gulliver's
0: long. Travels so we, with the Lilliputs. Yeah.
1: 17 or 1800s, I believe. So it's it's a fantasy going all the way back and probably for, way further back than what we were talking right. about right now.
0: Exactly. So it's it's a fun trope. It's it is a lot of fun Barks is going to have some degree of fun with it. The reality though, Ruben is that we're in a period of his career. We're now a little ways into the 60s. We're in 1961, at least as far as the publication goes, most people would consider this a part of his career where he's kind of on the downward trend. The stories aren't all as strong. So, um, you know, we can kind of think about, does this story fit in with that? Do you see signs of him slowing down? Definitely most of the stories are a little bit on the shorter side now. The adventures aren't as big. They aren't as grand. But there's still, um, still, I think, going to be some some great stuff to pull out of these stories uh, and appreciate. So let's see. Ruben, I would like to mention some of the background of this story. And this this one is... Because this story is a little bit more meager, it's short, there's not all that much to it. I thought this might be a good opportunity to talk about the the fan letter that kind of pulled Carl Barks out of his, I guess you might say, Disney-imposed obscurity. Because um, if you look at the, like, the index entry for this one, you'll see that there's a reference to a story idea, that Barks got this idea from, quote, Bill Spicer's friend, Ron Leonard. So that's not too much to go by, but it, it feels like people should recognize the names, maybe, from how that's written. What about it, Ruben, do you know the names Bill Spicer or Ron Leonard? Uh, No, I never heard of him. Uh, Being like
1: this children's kind of Carl Barks fan, the weekly comics where you you know the characters very well, and you get to know some creators, Carl Barks and Rosa, Egmont really pushed those guys, uh, put their name on the front covers and such. But we don't. I'm learning the background stuff with this podcast, right? So I'll be, I'm glad to learn.
0: Yeah, and and I'm learning the background stuff with this podcast too. Um, this is just something that I picked up in the course of research, and I, I learned it a while ago. But there hasn't felt like a good point to just drop this in. So so basically, right? It's it's generally well known. By duck fans that barks toiled in obscurity because it was disney policy that they just at the time credited everything as walt disney's uncle scrooge walt disney's donald duck etc we we had the plausible deniability that walt disney himself was doing everything so so you know that was the deal with carl barks he never got to have a byline on any of these comics he snuck in you know the occasional little cheeky reference but uh but he was forbidden to do that. And, and it's well known that that first generation of fans regarded him as the good duck artist just because he had such a prolific output and people could see how much better his art and storytelling was than the average. So it turns out that Bill Spicer is the guy that kind of first dragged Barks out of that obscurity. He is the one who wrote like the first fan letter. He went to some efforts to track down who was doing these great comics that that he loved so much. And he sent Barks this letter. And boy, it is something. Uh, Bar, if you read Barks, if you read Carl Barks reply back you know, after this very sweet fan letter where he talked about him being, you know, the best comic book artist I've ever seen and how your work stands out among the rest. It, it, it was a, it was a lovely letter. He referenced also asking if Barks lived in the Burbank Glendale area um, and he had some questions about, you know, his his process and how long he'd been involved with the comics and so forth. It, Reuben, it is really something to read Bark's reply because it is just tinged with suspicion and shock and amazement that, oh, that really? someone a has tracked him down, and B would go to the to the lengths to do it. <laughs> he said, here, I'm going to read just a bit of it." He said. After eyeing your letter with dark suspicion for several weeks, I have decided to answer it on the assumption that it could be a genuine fan letter. You see, I have a friend (laughs) in Oceanside who just loves to play practical jokes and writing phony letters to his chosen victims is one of his jokes. It so happens that your letter and his letters to his chosen victims seem to have been written on the same typewriter, there being a number of remarkable mechanical similarities. (laughs) So, he, He goes on and on basically to inoculate himself about uh Bob. Is this you? Are you are you right. messing around with me, Bob? Um, but he goes on to say that. I'm going to write this letter on the assumption that John Spicer is a genuine on the level young man with a better than than average discerning eye for differences in art and writing styles. 99 readers out of 100 think Walt Disney writes and draws all those movies and comic (laughs) books between stints with his hammer and saw building Disneyland. <laughs> oh, that sounds that sounds great. That sounds so barks. Uh, it is a pleasure for us ghost writers and artists to meet an occasional sophisticated person who knows that he doesn't quite. Um, That's great. <laughs> Yeah, and, and he goes on. Th- this letter is really worth the letter, and his response are really worth tracking down.
1: Yeah, but, you sent me the link, and the first thing I noticed is actually that Barks' letter is twice as long. Uh, you just read a little bunch of it, and I believe most, most of it will actually be just stuff like this that is saying, I'm just gonna make sure you're a real person, and if you are, you're good, and stuff like that. <laughs>
0: He, he does say at the end, well, it was nice getting a fan letter. The front office tells me they get many letters, but over the past 17 years, they have shown me only three, uh, two of which were pan letters that left me cringing for weeks. Wow. What what a could you, thing!
1: Could you could you explain to me that term?
0: Pan letters. So yeah, the, the pan is where you critically bash something. Yeah, you know, yeah right. A, con- a complaint kind of okay. letter or a letter of criticism. So just just imagine being Barks and having this great output and and never getting. Any feedback, um, you really get a sense from the letter that there is a lot of pent up energy, and and that how nice it is to get that kind of recognition. Uh, so Reuben, they would go on to, you know, have a, I, I believe at least one meeting and a bit of correspondence. Um, and John Spicer ended up bringing his friend out to meet him as well. I believe I believe his brother and his friend. I'm going to get some of these details wrong. Barks like scholars know better than I am. They could tell you about it. But I think I'm giving you kind of the basic important gist of the story is that Bill Spicer was the man who like really opened the door to figuring out who Karl Barks was. So I, I like that. I like that at, at this point, he's even willing to take an idea from someone and turn it into one of his stories. Um, and Ruben, let's let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the specifics of the story now that we know that inspiration behind it.
1: Absolutely. I love it.
0: Yeah. So we're looking at January 1961 as the publication date. This came out in Uncle Scrooge number 33. It is 16 pages, um, a pretty short length for an adventure story but sadly pretty average these days that's what western wanted him to do they wanted to leave room for a gag story and maybe a, a gyro gear loose story or something afterwards uh, according to index it's been it's seen publication in 21 countries in 103 publications and nine times in the u.s which to my eye is a little bit more than i would have expected kind of yeah, better exposed. To hear yeah Ruben. Um. We're, we're going to get into the story itself momentarily, but as always, I do love to pander to the international listeners by repicking one or two of the titles from around the world. Since you're a Norwegian guest, it's funny to me that I do the Norwegian title and you can you chuckle should. at how badly I get it. So so let me do this. I'm going to look at the very first one here, and it's um, Billiarder i Hulet. I oh, Hulet. Uh, not bad. I
1: hulle.
0: I hulle. Yeah,
1: not bad, All right. not
0: bad. So to my that's eye... A di-
1: that's a direct translation, yeah.
0: Yeah, that was my guess. It looked yeah. very much like... Um, so I guess billiard is...
1: Other than, actually, a billion and a billiard is not actually the same. What's the thing that's even more than a billion? Trillion. Yeah, a, a, a Norwegian billion, like a billiard, that's a trillion. Yeah, that's And interesting. we say. So we have a million, and we have milliard, and then we have billion. So a billion is actually a trillion.
0: Yeah, that is interesting. I learned that. I think that's the case in British English, too. I think they use milliards, if I remember right. Yeah, that right. could be. That could be. So that's Norwegian. This looks interesting. Let's go with the... Ruben, let's have you do the Spanish title Ooh. from Spain.
1: Let's see. That's... Uh, yeah. Oh, let, let me try if I can uh, If I can pronounce this right. but I do know... I have had like four years of uh, Spanish Not in, bad. in school. I did really bad, but let's, let's see what I can remember. So it's hormiguero traicinero. Oh,
0: wow. That's a hard one. Hormiguero Hormiguero There you go. Yeah. I haven't looked it up yet. So my guess, right? Hormiga is ant. So hormiguero. Oh, okay. An hormiguero. An hormiguero is an ant hill. Ant hill, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking so, hormiga is ant, hormiguero. I was like, that sounds like someone who (laughs) does something with ants, but yeah, that makes sense. All right. So, an hormiguero is an anthill, and then traicionero, I thought meant traditional, but it means treacherous.
1: Kind of, kind of spooky
0: yeah which is fitting right because this uh this one does have to me the the like standout moment that I always remember from this is this one eerie bit that I bet I bet it yeah. landed for you too so we'll, Absolutely. we'll talk about that
1: it has its kind of horrific bits not horrific but horror-ish
0: yeah it's it's definitely um what, what is the other giant ants one oh uh the donald duck and the titanic ants right
1: exactly yeah
0: um this one is definitely creepier than than his other foray into ants that are the same size as our Mm -hmm. characters titanic ants of course is not quite the same but anyway what do you think ruben you you ready to get into this story i am i am excellent let's do this Ruben, I bet it always stands out to you when a story begins outside the money bin and we've got this weird like flat ground um, money bin where it might be just like just barely across the street from from another office building, right?
1: Absolutely. We're so used to, or we have this memory of the, ba- the big bin on Kilmotor Hill. But yeah, in most of the Bark stories, it's like this. Really. Yeah,
0: I I was going to say I think if we I think if we added it up this is actually more the profile just because it's probably a lot I easier for him so. to draw.
1: I don't know if Kilmotor Hill was ever mentioned in more Bark's story than that the one probably one or two other occasions.
0: Yeah, there's a couple. Like we definitely see it um even if it's not called that in in uh the money well, right? That's that's another. Yeah, one right. True. It. True. So, yeah, it mo- it's mostly left on the ground and it's kind of weird, but yeah. Yeah.
1: Let's yeah, go with
0: it. Yeah, we are definitely going to go with it. So we see the ducks, all five ducks, Donald and oh, the nephews.
1: Well, uh, I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt, Mark. I just have one more observation I have to share with you. Uh, exactly. And that was the, that's kind of the, when talking about the Minna Bin and Kilmotor Hill and such. Uh, one thing I um, I observed and I was kind of disappointed of is, later in the story, the bin will shrink. That's a spoiler. But actually, in Karl Barks' art, the money bin has been and a bit over the yeah. years as well, and I'm so disappointed to see that. And also, I'm gonna have to share this with you because I really couldn't not do it. I had to look up the size difference. I, I did take Big Bin on Kilmotor Hill, but because that was what I was, as I remember, what yeah, a, it's a good frame was, of reference. So, I looked up the front doors of them and c- kind of compared them. I just sent you on it, on yeah, Messenger. I figured you could fit four uh billions in the whole money bin, no, eight. Billions in the whole money into one kilometer hill money
0: yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, I think you're right. That's pretty good. I think that doorway does give you a pretty good, what a, what a great infographic. That'll be a fun one to share. That's <laughs> nice.
1: I had to make it. I'm so sorry. Yeah.
0: It, it really does stand out, especially since you already think about the fact that it's shrinking. So so what we've got here is we've got a very like cheerful, chipper-looking Scrooge skipping about in front of his bin. We just see the bin really to signal who he is for new readers, I would say. Um, Donald's wondering where he's going, and he explains that he's going to go tour his satellite factory because his engineers have perfected some new gadgets. And this is really interesting to me, Ruben, because... Uh, this really ties into what was going on right we're in the we're at the like height of the space race the atomic age there there's all kinds of incredible stuff with technology going on right now and so they look at this really large machine that Scrooge describes as a combo space camera weather scanner radio relay orbiting sky lighthouse it's a satellite right it's it's a satellite with with lots of different instruments in it and uh, we get this fun little explanation where Scrooge points out a tiny little, quote, midget rocket that he is going to send this huge device up in. And so, you know, we get this little beat where Donald and the nephews say this monster goes into that midget and assume that he is just joking. At that point, we we get the the other shoe dropping. The, the the really big invention that we're going to be dealing with is made possible by his other new gadget, uh, which is called an atom subtractor. Uh, and, and Scrooge, before the nephew's eyes, he uses it. It's like a little ray thing. He operates a lever and it has a little counterpart. So they kind of bookend whatever is in between them gets shrunk in, in between in this field. It's <laughs> it's. It's what people might imagine miniaturization as a science term means, even though it's not. And I I have to say, Ruben, I love his nonsense explanation for how the atom subtractor works. So he explains that the subtractor takes out every third atom, then every third atom of what's left and so on. That's, That's just some wonderful nonsense there. Um, And and the the bottom line is that we see it get miniaturized into something that could fit into like a, a backpack, basically. What do you think, Ruben, of the this first couple pages of setup here? Well,
1: uh, Scrooge is very optimistic. That's good to see. Almost whimsical, I would say. And also, we just really see how science fiction this is. Barks has done some science fiction earlier. Uh, I believe he did a lot of that in the gyro gear loose uh, ten pagers and stuff like that, making like whimsical science fiction stuff. But yeah, we re- I really get that uh, feeling here. That we're, okay, we're into the we're, this is 60s science fiction.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. That's one of the things that's notable from this story right he's just had a couple of outer space set stories it definitely looks like he's uh, sci-fi minded at this point point. and then we're, we're going with this other sci-fi element here it does crack me up that the miniaturization ray is is not really the point of of what he wants to you know, that's almost <laughs> yeah. beside the point that he's he's using it to shrink this satellite. But as we know, that's satellites are real. And and possible and a miniaturization ray. Um, as much as satellites change the world, as a ray that could do this would do <laughs> a lot more.
1: Yeah, it's like it's like a side project. It's, it's a problem solver,
0: but right.
1: It's a sensation. Exactly. He just doesn't care about that because he would like to build the uh, build the satellite.
0: So I, I finished talking about this sequence, but I didn't mention something that was occurring. In the background of most of the sequence, what what did I leave out in the background? Well,
1: uh, there's one more character in this. What is the warehouse a laboratory? Yeah. Stuff like that. He's pretty noticeable. He is kind of big guy, kinda of clumpy. There's something a little bit obnoxious about this guy.
0: Yeah, there's something a, a little bit suspicious, right? All, suspicious, all, of the, yeah. all of the signaling that Barks is using is is all these little artistic flourishes. His back is turned, but he seems to be constantly smiling vaguely at the characters. Those are those are signals to us that th- there's something amiss with him that we should mm-hmm. um, distrust him. And just one thing, I should mention, he's washing, he's washing, does things, stuff like that. Some kind of cleaning person. Exactly. And and the nephews are gonna ask him. You know, this seems like some pretty important stuff. Can you tr- can we trust that janitor over there? Um, since he's just referenced his trusted engineers. Oh, and I love this couple of panels, the response here. I'm curious if they preserve this in your Norwegian translation. Scrooge says he's a new employee but he comes highly recommended in the next panel. He goes on why he has parole papers from five different prisons saying he's just a wonderfully good boy. <laughs> and, and of course we transition immediately to the next panel that, that reveals that he is in fact a Beagle boy in disguise thinking <gasps> to himself, but old Scrooge, doesn't know that I forged those parole papers. Is that how it's conveyed in, in your version? Yeah, it is uh, just a uh, b- just him being a wonderfully
1: good boy isn't translated as well. It's just he's a really good guy. So, Do they mention
0: uh, parole papers from five different prisons? Uh, parole papers?
1: No, it doesn't. It just says certificates from prisons. Yeah. So, okay. it could, so it could be like just him working at a prison.
0: Okay. All right. And that's so, how I read it. So okay, because in in the U.S. in the original one, it has this very funny like this cracks me up genuinely this is a good (laughs) joke right that scrooge is being just ridiculously naive here because there is is no benefit of the doubt that these are parole papers which says that you are being released. Mm -hmm. So this this is a man who has been, who has served time, Scrooge knows, in five different prisons (laughs) and and has been released from five different prisons five times. He's committed five different crimes. So it's very funny, number one, that Scrooge is trusting this this man to be the jander, And number two, it's very funny that the Beagle Boy doesn't have the creativity to think beyond forging (laughs) fake parole papers. So that cracks me up. That's the that's this story's funniest moment by far.
1: Yeah, I also thought about that because as I said, it only says certificates from prison. Yeah. So I, I, I did read it as like, oh, this Beagle boy, the only job he could <laughs> think of is prison guard, or working at a prison, because right. that's what the, the type of job he's seen most of.
0: Yeah, still funny, but it doesn't quite have the, the tone. It doesn't. So so this is great. So at this point, the ducks are all going to transition back to the money bin. Well, most of them are going to. Donald's actually going to, for, for plot reasons, Donald is going to send the nephews to go grocery shopping, uh, which they're very excited about. And Scrooge wants to calculate how many billions of dollars he'll make selling miniaturized weather satellites. All right, there's a little bit of kind of groundwork that he lays out in four panels here one panel, we we send off the nephews to go shopping. That's plot important. The next panel, Scrooge makes a reference to maybe needing to enlarge his money bin because of all the all the um, money that he's about to make. So that's a great plot point because it's kind of getting us in the mindset of shrinking and growing. Number three, the the second last panel. The plot point is referencing his first dime and it being quite a far day from when he earned that. And that's going to come into play. I guess that's Uh three. The fourth one is really just going to be the plot point of how he is about to lose the dime in just a moment because he's casually tossing it around. This is a lot, this is one of the parts, I think Ruben, the end of this, what are we on the, just the third page here? The third page I believe. Yeah, that that is uh, a part where the story feels, those three plot developing, pushing along panels, that's pretty rushed, right? That's a lot of exposition to pack into those three panels. And I feel like it might've been kind of dragged out more in one of his like twenty or twenty four page stories.
1: Probably yeah. I would say though. I don't I don't feel that it's it's that much rushed. It's into that Scrooge character of just telling him who we are. This is my money bin. I'm going to have to launch it. I'm going to have to make so much money. And speaking about money and all the money I've made, here's that, the lucky time.
0: All right. Yeah, that's fair. To me, it does read as as a bit, a bit rushed here. So Ruben, why don't you tell us about the next sequence here where, um, you know, it, things are the calamity happens.
1: Yeah, sure. And also, i love to just say that it's a page turner. I love when this type of things happen when you have to turn the page. Because as you said, Scrooge is tossing his first dime around. And as you uh, go to the next page, you see a little uh, bird snap it and fly up into the sky. Scrooge uh, runs after it. He launches his cane. He yells at it. And... The bird drops the uh, lucky dime, as you would call it, and it falls into the ground, into a hole in the ground where a bunch of Ants are working and living. What do you call that? Just an, ant an anthill?
0: An ant hill. That's our our yeah. hormigero is my new Spanish right, word Right. Exactly. For the the, the hormigero. I have a couple of questions for you, Ruben. Does it name the bird for you? Because I think this is an American bird, but I don't. I don't know if they're um it native says, to the It just says
1: the
0: blue bird. Yeah, this is actually a blue jay. They're they're all over around my my area in the eastern U.S., but they always mm-hmm. felt like prototypically American to me and they yeah, are kind of they are they are they are only in north america they,
1: the wikipedia tells me
0: yeah and they are kind of known for like i guess stealing things at least stereotypically and then scrooge gets bitten by these ants right away do you guys have uh biting the kind of biting ants where you are
1: yeah we do actually have those kind of ants uh not any dangerous things i believe but uh, i was just curious just a bit yeah
0: yeah because when i was a kid the ants where i grew up they didn't bite you. And then I moved to Arizona. I was like, oh, this is what people were talking about. Yeah, right. Ants that bite. And then I think the ones around here will also yeah. Some Norwegian well.
1: ants bite, but most of them just pee on you.
0: So I i there's something I like this sequence where Scrooge has dropped the dime into the ant hill and he characterizes it as a major calamity in the English one. There's a fun mm-hmm. bit here where every time something goes wrong, for the next like couple this next sequence as it plays out. He's just gonna keep adding superlatives to it, adjectives yeah. to, to make it an even bigger calamity. And I like that a lot. He explains that he can't just dig it out, as Donald says, with some gloves for, for reasons. I like that it barks is at least being consistent here, right? What do we know about the bin in Killmotor Hill? It's ringed with buried burglar traps. Oh, this is, I guess, something worth noting. It, So this line of dialogue, I think that this got modified in one of the Fantagraphics reprints, uh, or at least one of the words in it, right? It says, he says, I'd touch off a holocaust of gas bombs and landmines. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess it's kind of obvious why they might change that. But I don't think Barks is specifically referencing the Holocaust. Right. That I believe that was a generic term before Last Word definition. So by itself. Right. A, a Holocaust is just, quote, destruction or slaughter on a mass scale. And what happened in World War Two mm-hmm. was just just so um imprinted that that's why it's called the holocaust for, right. for obvious reasons so like i get i number one i, I know that barks used the term holocaust in one or two of the stories and that fanographics i don't remember if it was this one that was changed, but I know it was changed. To one I get why people would be annoyed at that because that that was in Bark's intention very clearly. On the other hand, I also get why they felt like they had to change it. So eh, you know that's that's one of those tricky things. I do feel like if you're a collector buying a collected edition like the Fantagraphics, it's it's best to just leave it intact with a little bit of commentary at the beginning noting it. But but whatever, I get it.
1: Yeah, um, because I I just have to mention like because that's the. Thing. Thing about old media being brought or I would say old children's media being brought into this daylight because the collectors of course want collector stuff and they want original stuff but it's children's media so what yeah. about those children that's growing up and want to read it we see this and all kinds of stuff and we just have to acknowledge like who is the who is the target audience here is it collectors or is it children that's going to learn uh, read this and, uh, and love this a new audience you would say
0: yeah I think I I think you said it really well. That's why it's so tricky, right? So this is this feels this is a neat sequence. I like how it escalates here. He's got this uh pretty funny way that he wants to get the dime back. He's going to send his trained ferret down the hole. Um, Donald is rightly surprised that he has a trained ferret, but it's for searching for coins in gutter trains and such. Well, I,
1: I am as well. I'm just gonna have to say, I think uh, it, it's really it's really silly. It's very barksian, but it stood out. But also, it barks.
0: <laughs> it is pretty weird, right? But on the other hand, Scrooge is the kind of guy who maybe would be like, "Oh, I should train a ferret to do this." <laughs> yeah, morning. absolutely. Um, we imagine maybe he did it in one of his globe trotting younger days or something. I I don't know. But the point is he's gonna, he's gonna use the atom subtractor to shrink him down and send that cute little ferret down.
1: And probably, if you look into some Don Rosa stories, just really looking into the background, something like that, you would find an explanation for it.
0: Sure. Right.
1: Probably it's uh, in there somewhere. <laughs>
0: I'm sure. I, I think if he had added another uh, three or four chapters to the Life and Times, it probably would have been. Yeah. So. So, this is the part where it's going to escalate one more time. He's going to get back to the factory and discover that the atom subtractor has been stolen. So, now it is a super major calamity it was it was just a major calamity at first now it's super major what is it in uh does it translate that way in in your Norwegian one yeah it does
1: and the first one it says oh this is really bad and the next one oh this is really super bad
0: there you so go you, it, what, what it, is it, it in in the language in in Norwegian
1: oh uh virkelig ille virkelig super ille
0: ah awesome all right so at this point, Scrooge and Donald are just hurrying around, chasing out one thing after the other. Now they need to get to the nearest phone, which is at the money bin. And as they run towards it, uh, they ponder who might have stolen it. Scrooge says, plainly, it's someone who knows how to work it. Uh, and Donald says, I may be dizzy, Uncle Scrooge, but isn't your money bin getting smaller? And uh, what is it that they see here, Reuben?
1: Well, I see 4B. Eagle Boys, two standing of each of those, the atoms of atom subtractors, two of them of each, money bin in the middle, says the ray, and it's shrinking the money.
0: Yeah. I really like what Scrooge says, and I like his pose as he's running at him. He says you scoundrels, get your dirty padlock picking fingers off my life savings. Barks never just said it like he, he wouldn't have said, stop taking my bin. You know, he had exactly. such a great way of doing that. But, you know, Donald stops him before he's about to be hit by the shrinking ray. You know, good, good job, Donald. Yeah. Um. Why don't you tell us? Uh, I, I, I like that Donald has this moment of lucidity. It won't last very long, but uh, <laughs> tell us, tell us what happened. Happens next here, Ruben. And...
1: Yeah, okay. So Scrooge and Donald, Scrooge figures that Donald was right. So they're going to go in behind one of the Beagle Boys. So they go in be- some- from behind of some of them and then they go into a, I would say, kind of back to the bike ish fight, just with a lot of few, a lot fewer members or what? Yeah, of the fight. So the, the Beagle Boys will get busy fighting with Scrooge and Donald and they forget to turn off the atom subtractor. So the money bin will just keep freaking
0: yeah you mention it now it is kind of interesting that we have four beagle boys here right it's kind of a weird number of beagle boys
1: we want to think seven that may be because rosa sometime observed seven and just went with that all the stories but sometimes it's more sometimes it's less yeah in a lot of the european stories and also in ducktales there's three
0: but four it really is a weird number i am I, I do agree on that one. just I guess two two per side off the money bin. I find this part relatable, right? Like it is it is a definitely a silly mistake that everyone here is gonna run into the shrinking race, but this is how things happen. Um, when everything gets very madcap and there's just a lot of things happening at once, people forget themselves in, in car mm-hmm. crashes and, and and that sort of thing. So All of the characters here are noticing that the bin is shrinking too fast, so you know the beagles only wanted to shrink it small enough to make it easy to steal everyone starts to run into it and i do like the moment on the next page where the kids get back from their grocery shopping and say and they, and they just see the 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 empty the mostly empty spot where the bin was and say something tells us we kids didn't get back from the grocery a minute too soon <clears> and uh yeah they they comment how the bin seems to be getting farther and every step there are now rocks on the ground that are very large they didn't notice before and suddenly there are ants that uh, are very visible and, and just about their same size and and all six characters now Donald Scrooge and the four Beagles have the realization that no one thought to turn off the atom subtractor. I guess Reuben it was it was somebody else's job I
1: guess so because uh, it's a way it really was because uh, the, there was because there are two of these atom subtractors and only one of them has the lever
0: yeah so so now we've got what Scrooge describes as a super Super major, colossal, overwhelming (laughs) calamity. Do you mind telling us what it is in Norwegian?
1: Nice.
0: So, you know, the nephews do finally turn it off. I guess I, I do like this aspect of the story that there is not the honey I shrunk the kids moment where no one knows where the kids went. You know, the nephews immediately clock what's happened and um, we we feel like they they actually got to see them shrinking I don't know the story's a little short for my taste but I also feel like I like that part that you you could have had that part where they're like where what happened you know I, I like that we just know and we get to it mm-hmm. um and, and so, you know, two nephews are going to very carefully look on the site where the bin used to be and search for their their uncles. And one nephew is going to go find one of Uncle Scrooge's engineers to reverse the gizmo <laughs> from an atom subtractor to an atom putter back inner, he says. <laughs> Yes, I like that. And what what is the boy? Tell us about the kind of upsetting uh sight that we see here at the bottom of the page when we flash to the tiny little uncles and beagles.
1: Yeah, I will because Yeah, of course, you have first of all, you have those two nephews that start they're looking for and they're very they're very aware could be stepping on them so they have to look around carefully not to step on them then we go back to and then we go into those the the shrinking perspective of of the little people i would say and the money bin is about half the height of scrooge or something right now because it has been shrinking a lot more than the character's so we see donald and scrooge hiding behind a rock and a ant just casually carrying the money bin just like a box in front of him. He's smiling, (laughs) just carrying it away. And on the next panel, we see two ants with the same expression. They're happily, carefully just lifting two horrified beagle boys. Along the way, and uh, Scrooge and Donald, of course, get just as horrified and starts running the, in the opposite direction. Yeah, and now this... we're into the horror, the the hor- horrors ish pieces of this story.
0: Exactly, and and it's all in the reactions, right? Because the Beagles, and then soon Scrooge and Donald are going to look really terrified, and the ants the whole time they just keep this very s- eerie, smiling, peaceful, placid look to them. They um, do. It is, it is creepy. Uh, so, you know, the, we, we do get one of these brief perspective moments. This might be the only panel where we see a nephew from Scrooge and Donald's perspective. That seems like a missed opportunity because that's the kind of thing I really like to see in Shrinking Stories. Yeah,
1: you're true.
0: And and so, you know, they're looking up at the giant nephew who can't hear them, and they, too, get corralled by the ants. Um, And, and eventually, the nephews encounter those ants as well and get bitten by them. And they do see, just as they're carrying, j- just as everyone goes down the hill, they notice an ant carrying Uncle Scrooge's tiny little money bin, but they're not able to dig a mountain time Lest they risk causing a cave-in. So, and it's,
1: um, and it's the size of what would you say the size of that is? It looks like a sugar cube or something.
0: Yeah, the bin. You're thinking. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is some pretty this is some pretty strong setup. You know, we transition down into the ant hole. Donald and Scrooge. Scrooge is kind of giving up here quickly. Right. He's saying there's no use yelling. We're beyond hope. The Beagle Boys barks mind some humor out of how like terrified and childish the Beagle Boys are. One of them says, I want to go home to dear old Sing Sing, which is um, just a term for an old time prison. I don't remember which prison used to be called Sing Sing, but at any rate. And so all of the ants prey, beagles, ducks, bin." and Dime have all been dropped into one big room. Ruben, any commentary on this part? I'm going to ask you uh, to tell us about maybe the story's only splash panel.
1: Yeah, um, well, of course, I said it's horrific. And we can see, later we'll see that Scrooge almost has just accepted his fate, but we'll see hints of that here as well. And also, I believe that this splash panel, because in the first time reading this, this was probably split into two weekly magazines you know that uh, you know how that works like right? right the story keeps going in the next issue uh, and i believe this was at that
0: that makes sense yeah. at the transition point cliffhanger uh,
1: the cliffhanger, exactly. This yeah. really is a cliffhanger. Because what we see, I should of course say, in that splash panel is kind of silly, but also kind of horrific. We see all those ants with the same eerie smile you were talking about. And also, oh, I just noticed they're licking their mouths and they're licking their lips as well. They're on this big long table. And at the end of that long table sits probably the king or queen of the ant tribe, I would say, in like a, uh, a throne of some sort.
0: Right. Yeah, it does call her out because it says in the in in mine in the queen ant's royal dining room is what it says. Mm-hmm. So so they've almost been humanized a little bit, right? Because they're sitting at, at some furniture. This is definitely not very scientifically accurate. It but isn't. And
1: also they they're using plates. They have using mm-hmm. leaves as plates.
0: Right, right. So I, I would say because they're about the same size as the ducks now um and because they're almost human like now. It, it feels all the creepier because it's almost like a cannibalism story rather than animals um, that's true. trying to eat you. But I think that's part of why it's so eerie, because they're just placidly, peacefully waiting. Uh, you know, maybe they're going to cook them or something.
1: Yeah, this moment is actually kind of two-sided for me because, yeah, it makes it kind of creepy, but also kind of silly. It makes it yeah. a little more silly that like they're so humanized. Uh, right. But also creepy that they're like this cannibal-esque theme to
0: it. Yeah, and, and and I mean, really, the fact that they never talk, because they are just ants, but that that really, to me, that's how I remembered this story. Like, that was the thing. I, I remember, I read this fairly frequently as a kid, for whatever reason, even though it wasn't a favorite of mine. I can tell by just how, like, dog-eared and worn out my copy of this issue of DuckTales number 10, number 9 is. So I so obviously enjoyed it enough to read it a lot but when i thought about it i was like oh yeah this is the one with the very creepy looking ants that's what i Mm -hmm. remember so there is okay so we get another of these moments where scrooge is going to upgrade the type of calamity here he calls it a super major colossal overwhelming catastrophic calamity what is it ruben in
1: Norwegian, it's
0: excellent, I, d- delightful. I didn't understand a word of it, but it's still great. Um, I could try to
1: translate it if you want to because I, yeah, I just, yeah, go, go it. for it. I, because just talking this gibberish to you doesn't mean anything. So, uh, ufattlig, super ille, that will be overwhelming. The word for unable to understand it, okay, terribly super bad,
0: nice. Sounds great. I do really like, there's one really cool panel on this one that's that's weird and something that would, could never otherwise happen. Do you want to describe it for us? I'm sure you know what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, of course. I do love this panel. It's actually a little bit two-sided, but I'll get into it. We see Scrooge sitting on top of his number one first dime because this is the hole uh, the the Blue Jay it into. So he sits on top of that, he sits quietly just beside his money bin, he's stroking it, and he's just accepting his fate at this point.
0: Right, and, and his dialogue is, I'm so well, I'm sitting here on the first dime I ever owned and holding my money bin beside me, what could be a better time to go? Um, you're, you're noting that there's a little bit of a perspective issue maybe with the drawing is that what you were gonna say
1: yeah I do notice it yeah uh, I didn't notice it bef- before uh, before you told before you said it to me but yeah I, it's not that noticeable I would say
0: yeah uh, that's a, it's a weird thing to, to have to draw and squeeze into one panel I would say yeah. I, I certainly couldn't do it better but but yeah the the bin looks a little bit the, the there's a little it, bit of a weirdness of perspective I think
1: yeah because it's uh his, okay so Scrooge is the dime is like a plateau at this point. Scrooge is sitting in the center of that. The monobin is behind him and it's the back of the monobin is resting on the ground and the front of the monobin, you would say, is resting on top of the dime and Scrooge is leaning towards it. But he's also, Scrooge is also holding behind himself and stro- stroking it in some way, as well as resting his head onto it. So it does look kind of weird in some way. Uh, yeah. But I didn't notice it when reading it last night at uh, like midnight.
0: Right. It, exactly. It's only the kind of thing you notice if you're like really obsessively looking exactly. at it. The way we are. So,
1: and, but I would say, you know, as I said, it's 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 melancholy, and you don't see that much melancholy. Yeah. Do you use that? Do you use that word in English, melancholy, as a? a it, as, yeah.
0: It's it's rare as an adjective, but you're using it the right way. Yeah, because
1: uh, uh, you don't see that much melancholy in uh, uh, in these Borg stories. So I think it's definitely yeah. some kind of a fresh
0: breath, he would say. I I agree. I think it's a a bit of a standout moment. It's very noticeable. It's cute. Um, we're gonna transition pretty quickly out here back to the nephews, who both have the same idea uh, that the they can use the groceries that they just bought to save them. There's obviously there's a reason. That they had gone to the grocery store from a storytelling perspective, and that's because there's a sack of sugar in there. Every everyone knows ants love sugar, right? This is widely known. So, so one of the nephews is going to stand near the hill and get hit by the ray after pouring in some sugar.
1: Yeah, I just would say that I do believe that the the it's just that the, the nephew here is. A little bit too quick on just, okay, let's just shrink me, because we don't know if the uh, shrinking is uh, reversible here at this
0: point. Yes. That's true. And and like the reader knows it because Scrooge clearly was not going to risk his ferret um or, or at least we didn't have the idea mm-hmm. that it was going to be risky to the ferret. I agree and in general this this transition happens too fast. Mm-hmm. Um but I mean I guess time is of the essence here. So that it that is, makes sense. I just wanted sense. to mention it. Yeah, I think I think that's a good addition. Um I do like the moment here where we get that recognition of the perspective and how uh, as he passes the sugar crystals, they're as big as baseballs. That's really cool to me how he's holding them all. Um, he just grabs an armload of them and heads down the anthill. And uh, we transition back to the ducks and the beagles who are being. This, this is pretty funny, right? Like this is, it's still creepy and it's still horrific, but it looks so funny to me that it does kind of get back into back into whimsical they're being served to the queen in a juicy gravy of vegetable fat i love the the wailing beagle boys here they're just so pathetic
1: they are and they're as you said they're pathetic and also very childish
0: right right yeah one of them says well they say don't eat us ants please we've got to report to our probation officer tomorrow <laughs> I don't know what what that last beagle says in your translation but that's the... yeah it, it's the
1: same thing it's correct it's the yeah it's well translated, I would yeah,
0: say. Yeah, it's a good gag. Um, and so this is the moment. Why don't you tell us about, about this moment next, Ruben?
1: Yeah, so we see a lot of those baseball size, uh, not baseball size, but to our perspective now, they are, they are yeah. baseball size. The giant, uh, the, the baseball shaped sugar crystals are being tossed onto the um, the big table of the, the Bank table, you would almost call it. And we see that it's one of the nephews just Tossing them into there and yelling that Scrooge, John, will run for your lives! So they're very desperate here, and of course the ants are all in for the sugar. So they forget all about the ducks and the beagles, and our characters get a way out.
0: Yeah, I I like this. This this seems like really good storytelling. This is a natural progression here, um, and I really like this next story beat here, Ruben, where Scrooge just stands astride, threatening the beagles demanding that they have to carry out his money bin first, um, and then the dime. And and he just he has them over a barrel, right? Because he's like, I can fight you and distract this long enough so that the ants will get us. It's very funny. It's very character based. Well what it tells us, though, is that Scrooge is willing to sacrifice all of them to save his bin and die very, very plainly.
1: Absolutely. And I think that kind of ties into the thing earlier where he, he did accept his fate. He was he was in his mind ready to die and for everyone to die. So he's onto his weight reverse that, I believe. <laughs> right.
0: I do take this as he knows that. I mean, he knows how this has got to go. Right. He's like, I, I if I threaten them it's way easier for them to just capitulate so absolutely so I'm not saying he's He's being that hard-hearted here, but it, it is funny to see him basically saying that, implying that.
1: Yeah, and also, and uh, we've, we've seen how pathetic the Beagle Boys are at this point. So he right. knows they're easy to—they'll uh, just, and, just and do it, anything to survive at this point.
0: Yeah, and it's it's funny too, where one of the nephews turns the tide and says, "Now you get going, Uncle Scrooge, and fast," and and pokes him in the tail. <laughs> So the Beagles have just agreed. They've said, yes, sir, yes, sir. And then Scrooge says the same thing to his grandnephew. And here, Ruben, we're going to get a very brisk wrap-up. The other nephew is going to get back with one of the engineers. There's this very funny moment where he engages in some sciencey gobbledygook talking about how he's I, I should read it. I said, I have to deamp the resistor diodes to reverse the polarity of the potentiometers. It's simple when you know how. Yeah, I, I'm sure they gave gave you some hopefully they gave you some good fake sciencey gobbledygook nonsense in Absolutely. And uh and so he gets it turned back on just as those first two beagle boys think that they've got a stroke of luck because they're the first out they think they can walk away with the bin and yet it starts to grow faster than they can get away and uh and everyone cheers because they're coming back to their real size so it's a nice little wrap-up we get um we get a good little epilogue here I guess it's an it's an okay epilogue do you want to tell us about the six panel or I guess uh the three quarters of the page yeah, yeah. uh the epilogue that takes up most of the page here yeah sure
1: so we see Scrooge hammering more of those scrambles uh, signs onto his uh, property in front of the monobin because it's full size again at least the size it is for this story uh, <laughs> And just telling that no one will ever get this again because science, of course, will help. I prob probably some landmines would be better, but science do help as well. The Beagle Boys, the four of them, they understand that. Oh, it- could you read the dialogue, please, of that panel? Oh, it's
0: it's pretty great. He says, "We Beagle Boys have been foiled again, coices and double coices."
1: Exactly. And then Donald notices the uh, the ants in the ground and says, "So Donald points out that Scrooge would probably need to use a dime or two on some ant exterminators and." just as donald says that scrooge gets bitten in his foot by the ants and he says yeah you're probably right but not this dime and he holds up of course his first dime his lucky dime that's last panel as a way as a winks to the audience i believe as well as looking into his his precious precious dime
0: yeah this this is a very like sitcom-y ending right i agree It's, it's a very like wah wah honestly barks if there's one thing that people criticize him for it's even even in some of his greatest stories he doesn't always know how to end them usually he gets off a, an ending that's at least fine um and he's had some great endings this is a pretty this is a pretty weak ending
1: it is i did kind of like the punch line but the lucky dime is present i just
0: didn't feel it being that
1: present in some way we yeah. did see much more of the money then
0: uh, i know what you mean it's kind of all over the place right the dime is just yeah, here is. So that it can be here. Um. So
1: I I think it's kind of a good punchline. It it is very sitcom, as you say. And also one problem that I have is, what is the Beagle Boys' fate here? They just, they just, also, they didn't get the money bin. So now they're just going to go into the police office and say, we committed some crime or... (laughs) Why yeah, I so mean there? they're
0: they're right outside the bin right here. They clearly and haven't... no, they're, they're,
1: and there really isn't any witnesses besides the ducks
0: for whatever reason. They're not going to have any punishment here. Um... You know what?
1: In a in a real world, as, as I said it out loud, they do have some. They do have something to worry about. Just when you're into this comic book story, or actually just story in general, you want to see some direct influence. That how you just having a police officers seeing something maybe the nephews contacted a police officer something like
0: that yeah it does feel like they should get some kind of punishment they should right from a Mm -hmm. storytelling perspective we almost don't even need to flash back It, it is it is always funny to me when they do that little walk in a line thing with their hands on each other um for whatever reason but but this one, Reuben, this one to me is feeling like the ending almost feels like um, more like Strobel or, or one of the other Western artists at that time. There's definitely a lot of nice Barks touches in this story. I really like as the, the couple of panels that we pointed out um, and that like escalating gag where it gets uh, more and more superlative. What a what a calamity he's in. But on the whole, this is definitely. Not one of his strongest stories, right? I think this is very entertaining. Um, but uh, it it's fine. It's it's a it's an okay story. Just by Bark's standards, it feels to to me it does feel a little bit rushed. It has this um, kind of jarring tonal stuff. That part of me really likes how eerie it is, but part of me feels like it's it's a weird thing to exist in this you know, otherwise story where this this story where the stakes otherwise don't feel that that high, I don't know. There's something. There's something about it where it's hard to put my finger on it. But yeah, this is probably not. This is certainly not one of his strongest stories. But what are of your kind not. of overall thoughts?
1: Yeah, uh, I just want to dwell a little, little bit more on the ending first, because one thing that I noticed, and you, you said that Barks uh, did have, did get some criticism of his endings at some points, and I, and I think that's reasonable. In this one as well, because this is one of the, uh, one of the, uh, the instances where you turn the page and it sits like. Last one and yeah, oh that was the last one. I would probably guess it would be one or two more. Uh yeah. Just, just the last page could be very compressed. And also but really I don't think that there's so much bad storytelling, Eric. It is a bit rushed. You do have things being a little bit all, all over the place with both the Lucky Dime and the Money Beam being some kind of MacGuffin. Probably would be better with just one of them, I would believe.
0: Yeah, although and that I, would deny us that cool panel where he gets to... It, it is nice. I, I agree with you. It kind of... The focus of this one is a little bit scattered, but I will say that I do like that panel.
1: Uh, and you know why I agree on that one just not from a story perspective, but that's that's true. And also you have that uh, running gag you loved about the calamity, yeah, the calamity escalating for every instance. Maybe that would be a better punchline if you've got that into it some way, because I feel like uh, that punchline or that running gag didn't really, it it didn't went full circle at any point. I I think you're onto something.
0: Yeah, no, I I think that's actually great. I I think you're right. I think that could have been if he could have incorporated it, you know, maybe once he got, maybe once he got, bit by the ant if he like raised the stakes even higher and complained about this little bit of foot pain that would have been silly but it, it would have it would have been a punchline, right
1: yeah at um, least on, or just just putting it in there somewhere making it in there somewhere also the thing about the ants being a little bit creepy and stuff like that I like that. That was the thing I remembered from this story. It was the yeah. it was the panel of the Beagle Boys carrying the bin because mm-hmm. that is just so the bin being at a size where two men could carry it like a big box. Uh, but also the ants just being carrying the Beagle Boys and being creepy. But one thing that I missed here, but it would be nice to see the inside of the money bin because we always talk about the money bin. Uh, we see the money bin in the first panel if we know it's the big uh, the big square building with the dollar sign up the front uh, and doll and screwed gender done, the nephews calls it the money bin. But a new reader wouldn't necessarily know that it's actually full of cash.
0: Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Actually seeing the coins in there, you're right. It would have, um, it would have raised the stakes for this. I think that's Absolutely. a really good observation. You know, if you flip through this one and look at the backgrounds, I think you'll notice that they're very Spartan. This is, I think, the kind of the start of the time where he started to really he, he's been he's putting a little bit less effort into the backgrounds for understandable reasons right he's slowing down he's a few years away from retiring now but if you just flip kind of rapidly through this, you'll notice that every panel with the nephews, it's really just a very briefly drawn cityscape with just a few windows and stuff. It stands out if you're looking for it.
1: That is, I really didn't notice it before, until you said it because I think the characters are the most interesting thing anyways. Yeah. Uh, I, I won't put barks on that because me as an artist as well, and probably other artists kind of notice the backgrounds are kind of boring. <laughs> it is the characters that you want to draw
0: um, yeah, no, I think it's a reasonable thing, and of course I'm no artist, so I'm certainly not criticizing him. It's just an observation.
1: I, I don't. I think the story is actually quite good. There are some things, some red threads and something like that that really isn't. It don't get full circle and stuff like that, but it's such an interesting theme, but the shrinking and the shrinking a giant thing like the Moniben. It's so interesting that I think it's this. It saves the kind of uh, lower quality storytelling that is there. So I actually remember this as being a fairly all right story. Almost good.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think you make a good point. It's got, it's got a reasonably well-developed story arc. I think it's all a little bit rushed. I, I find this enjoyable. I definitely like this more than some of the stories that are kind of like in its company. If you look, we're, we're going to transition in a moment to talking about how the community feels about it. You know, uh, if you look on Indux where people can rank these stories, vote for them, and they get like a group rating. It's it's fairly low for a bark story, it's a 7.34. Right now it's good for 496 out of all 43,000 some stories. I have my own like spreadsheet of just the barks adventure stories, because it makes more sense to compare them to each other. And if you look at that one, it is number 91 out of all like 120 or so stories. So, you know, that puts it in 75th percentile, basically. Yeah, right. It's in the bottom quarter of stories. And I mean, for example, it's I think it's better than like, Nah, you know what? That that actually looks about right. I think that's probably I think that's probably right. It's in it's in some good company. It's right up there with like all at sea from around this time and the black pearls of Tabuyama Yama and um, riches, riches everywhere. Yeah, these this seems like a reasonable, a reasonable rating yeah, sure. for this one. Sure. So, Fairly yeah. all right stories. So, so, you know, even, even a bark story, e- even a weaker bark story still is in the top 500 on index. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, you know, I would usually wait until we're about to wrap it up, but I'll mention that there is a Don Rosa sequel to this one, you know, the incredible shrinking tight wad. This is one of those cases where that, Sequel is considerably higher rated as of right now. It's ranked one hundred ninety-eight on Indux than the Barks original. So that's kind of fun. I do I do think that's actually sorry Barks fans. I I I know that that might be controversial, but I I do think that story might be a little bit better. Yeah, Um, I had to
1: flip through it because I know it could be considered a sequel to this. So I had to just flip through it to look at it. And as we talked about the missed opportunities for this story, I think actually Rosa did use a lot of those in his story with, I think the money bin was the real MacGuffin there. It was put in the Beagle Boy's pockets, Scrooge and Donald yeah. was in there and they you, you did see the big characters from uh, the small my, micro ducks you would say perspective so uh, you, you did really get a lot of things that Barks didn't the potential that Barks didn't use in this story
0: right and it seems like Barks just wasn't interested in it in a, in a way that Rosa was you know he, he had a little bit of fun with the concept that's something that Rosa kind of tends to do mm-hmm. you know he really plays around if he has a concept like a capital C concept he he just loves to explore it all right well you know I think we covered this pretty well the only thing that really remains is just to highlight our favorite panels i I think you know on on behalf of both of us we called out, Scrooge sitting on the dime clutching the bin. The one splash panel with the creepy looking ants is definitely a pretty obvious one, right? And I think those are really the obvious ones that really stand out. What What else do you notice that deserves to be called out as a great panel?
1: Yeah, I, 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 it's just that it's because it's so memorable and probably, it was probably printed on on the cover of the weekly Dunluck comic, and that is two Beagle Boys carrying the money then. It made such an impact on me. I don't know why, because it, it just is so fun of a concept. And it isn't that tiny that you could carry it in your hand. It, it has so much weight to it that you need two big men to carry it. I don't know. I just think that's very pleasing to see. Yeah, that's uh, a good you, one. You, you could say the same thing for the for the dime and as well.
0: Yeah, and it's definitely intriguing as a cover. You definitely want to find out what leads to that. Right. Now, in addition to those obvious ones, I'll just call out the very funny Beagle Boy pan of them wailing in the in the gravy and i did like that one of scrooge uh you know launching into the attack ruben i think we did a nice job with this pretty slight bark's tail i would encourage people to join us next time we're going to get to cover um a very interesting one that'll be this will be interesting to talk about we get to cover myth tick mystery and check out barks remarks on most of the socials primarily facebook a little bit on instagram ruben you've got your you've got your art page on instagram and facebook right it's uh olsrud teg tegner Tegner? how do you say that's right
1: tegner You would say it
0: tegner T E G n-e-r that's the Norwegian word for drawing
1: yeah exactly the verb drawing uh so that's correct and that's both on Facebook and Instagram
0: well thank you so much uh for joining me Ruben I really appreciate it
1: always a pleasure